Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to gather as your people uh, at this early hour, Lord. Uh, and we come at an early hour because, Lord, we're hungry. Or, or I don't believe we'd be on the, the Zoom this morning. We're hungry, Lord, to get to know you better, uh, to get to know your ways, um, to better learn how we can cooperate with you in our lives. So, Lord, I just pray that you would anoint the words I would speak, you'd anoint uh, our ears. And we pray, Lord, that we would have the ability to hear what you want to say to us, not only as a group, but as individuals, uh, that you have a message for each of us. And we thank you for it, Lord. We come expecting to meet you through your scriptures. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> I'm just warning you on chapter 21, there's some wild names here. So I'm going to give it a good shot uh, and we'll see what comes of it. Second Samuel 21. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, it's for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the sons of Israel made a covenant with them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. Thus David said to the Gibeonites, what should I do for you? How can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Then the Gibeonites said to him, We have no concern of silver or gold with Saul or his house, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And David said, I will do for you whatever you say. So they said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to exterminate us from remaining within the border of Israel, let seven men from his sons be given to us. And we will hang them before the Lord and heal the of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I'll give them. But the king spared Methuselah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath of the Lord, which he had between them, between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. So the king took the two sons of Rispah, the daughter of Eliah, Armani, and Methuselah, whom he had borne to Saul, and five sons of Merah, the daughter of Saul, whom he had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillia, the Maholonite. Then he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord, so that the seven of them fell together. 
and they were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of age, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock for the beginning of the harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. When it was told David what Mitzvah, the daughter of Ed, the concubine of Saul, had done, that David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jacob Gilad, who had stolen them from the open square of Bashan, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines struck down Saul in Gilboah. And he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonas and his son from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Beth, um, I'm sorry, of Benjamin and Zillah, in the grave of Kish, his father. Thus they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God was moved by entreaty for the land. <clears throat> now, when the Philistines were at war against Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And they fought against the Philistines, and David became weary. Then Ishbahnab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abashai, the son of Zerulal, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out against with us to battle, that you may not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now it came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. And Shippachai, the Hushanite, struck down Zap who was among the descendants of the giant. And there was war with the Philistines again at Gob. And Elthlan, the son of Jarah Orgum, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was a war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Okie dokie. <clears throat> got a lot of names and uh, got a lot of fingers and a lot of toes here on these people. And I think we kind of can get lost in all this kind of stuff, these all these little tiny details here and there. And I don't want to get stuck in them. I'd like to, to drive home one central thought that I see here in 2 Samuel 21, and then kind of expand that thought through other scriptures. And the primary thought I, I see here is this. We are going to have hard times, okay? Uh, I like what somebody said. Either we're going into a hard time or we're in a hard time or coming out of a hard time. Uh, it's just inevitable. Uh, as you read the Bible, hard times hit every single person. <laughs> and that means every single person on this screen. 
hard times will happen. And what we need to do in the hard times is inquire the Lord and seek the Lord and say, Lord, what's the deal? Lord, what are, what are you trying to say to me in the hard time? And you might be there today. You may be going through a real ringer experience. And I think biblically, the answer to that is, okay, Lord, what's the deal? Why are you allowing this hard time in my life? What are you trying to say to me? And when God speaks to you, then to make the necessary adjustments to do what he asks you to do. So that's where we want to go today. And uh, let's look a little bit at the historical context here. So we see here in the beginning of 21, now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. So a famine had hit Israel at that point. Uh, and David says, okay, Lord, what's the deal? What, why? What's this all about? And it says here, David sought the presence of the Lord. In other words, Lord, this is not an accident. There's a famine. What are you up to? And I think David kind of had the inclination uh, that his son Solomon had when Solomon dedicated the temple. Uh, so it says this in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35. Solomon prays this prayer. And he prays this prayer when Israel gets in some kind of a mess. Now, you know, let me let me read it. If you if you can turn to it quickly, you're welcome to do that. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35. And basically, this is what Solomon's saying. When the heavens are shut up, and there's no rain because they have sinned against thee. And they prayed to, toward this place, the temple, and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou dost afflict them. Then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on the land which thou hast given thy people for an inheritance. Here we are, 37, if there's a famine in the land, if there's pestilence, if there's a blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all, thy people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands toward this house, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and forgive. So Solomon's saying when hard times come, I think Solomon's saying in many cases, it's because of a sin in the nation or a sin in the life of an individual. So a famine's here in 2 Samuel 21. And David's saying, okay, Lord. This is not some kind of accident. You're allowing this. Why? So, uh, again, 21. And it says, and David sought the presence of the Lord. Like, what's going on, Lord? And God answers him. And the Lord said, it is for Saul and his bloody house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. Okay, now, 
we need to understand a little bit about the background of the Gibeonites. <clears throat> so uh, another verse we can look at here is Joshua. And you go back to Joshua chapter 9. And we see a little bit about the Gibeonites. So the Israelites were basically told that when they <clears throat> went into the promised land, <clears throat> excuse me, they were to wipe out the, the foreign people that were heathens, that were idol worshipers. And God said, you basically need to exterminate them because if you don't wipe them out, they're going to lead you down a bad path into sin. And then it's a bad scene. The Gibeonites had heard that Israel was coming and invading this land. The Gibeonites were there in that area and they're smart. They're thinking, wow, we better pull something off quick or we're going to be exterminated. So they pull a trick in Joshua 9 and they come to the Israelites and they look like they've come from a long, long distance. And you can see more information in that chapter. But they, they deceive the Israelites. The Israelites fall for their delusion. And because of that, the Israelites make a, a basically a covenant with them because they think they're far away. But the Gibeonites are really right at their back door. So if you look at uh, Joshua 9, uh, it says this, uh, uh, Joshua 9, 15. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live uh, in the area. So basically, they allowed them to be there because they made a covenant. And Israel, it's a big deal. When you make a covenant, you can't break it because that would be a big sin. If you make a covenant with a, a people, you have to keep it. Now, getting back from that background I just gave you, David finds out there's a famine because the Gibeonites were not treated properly. The oath was broken. So David says, well, I better do something to correct this or the famine's not going to go away. Uh, so if you look at 2 Samuel 21, 2, so the king, David, called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the sons of Israel made a covenant with them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. So in other words, some of the Gibeonites had been killed. The covenant had been broken. And because the covenant was broken, the famine was there. And David wants to correct this, verse 3. Thus David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Then the Gibeonites said to him, we have no concern of silver or gold with Saul or his house, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, I'll do for you whatever you say. Okay, here they come back. So they said to the king, the man who consumed us, who planned to exterminate us from remaining within any border of Israel, let seven men from his sons be given to us and will hang them before the Lord in Gibeath of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I'll give them. So these people are killed. In a sense, there's a punishment given for the offense to the Gibeonites. 
And if you look at the end of verse 14, justice is served. And it says, after that, the end of 14, that God was moved by entreaty for the land. So the famine stops. So it's really important. Hard time, famine comes to Israel. David says, Lord, what's up? God explains, this is why the famine. David deals with the situation, gets it right, famine leaves. Again, the question in our lives, Lord, why a famine? Lord, why are you allowing a famine in my life? Lord, why are you allowing trouble and pain and heartache in my life? Again, just like David, we have to say, Lord, what's up? What are, you, what are you trying to say? What's the message for me in this? Let me give you another illustration. Uh, we've looked at it before. If you go to Joshua, you might as well look at it here. Joshua 7. Uh, in Joshua 7, Joshua judges. Uh, we see the story of Achan and the people of Israel had just wiped out Ai, okay? After uh, they had wiped that out at Ai, they feel uh, that, no, I'm sorry, let me correct that. They had wiped out Jericho. And as they wiped out Jericho, they're proceeding to Ai. They think, okay, this could be a piece of cake. We, we wiped out Jericho where all the walls were, AI should be a piece of cake. We should be able to knock them out very, very quickly. And yet they're defeated by a very small group of people. And again, Joshua is scratching his head saying, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. You were with us with Jericho. We won easily there. AI should have been very easy conquered. It wasn't, Lord. What are you saying to us, Lord? in this trouble. Why? 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 And the Lord answers Joshua. In uh, Joshua 7.11, it says this. The Lord answers, Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've even taken some of the things under the ban and have been stolen and deceived. Moreover, they also put them among their own things. So basically, uh, what it's saying uh, is we see this man, Achan, took some things uh, when Jericho was defeated. And God said, do not do it. He deliberately did it. And because he sinned, uh, the Lord says here, verse 12, therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. So Joshua says, okay, God, trouble hits. What's the issue? God says there's sin in the camp. And God helps them to determine where in all this group of Israel, it's narrowed down and it comes to the family of Achan. And Achan is confronted, if you look at Joshua 7 and 20. So it says, so 
Achan answered Joshua and said, truly, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shikar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and I took them and behold, they're concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And if you look at verse 25, and Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all the Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And here it is. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And the Lord turned again. Problem. Lord, what's the deal? God reveals it. They deal with the sin. They make the adjustment. And God's anger turns. When hard times come, we need to say, Lord, what's the scoop? What are you trying to communicate to me? <clears throat> Let me give you another illustration in the New Testament, a little bit different twist. In Matthew, and it's Matthew 17, <clears throat> we see the story uh, of a man brings a son uh, who's demon-possessed tries to find Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. Jesus is not around. So the man ends up bringing the son to the disciples and says, hey, heal this. Heal my kid. Please help, help, help. The disciples give it their very best shot. They can't heal the kid. Not a good picture. Hard time, number one, for the man because his heart's broken and his son's not getting healed. Number two, hard time for the disciples. They give it their best shot. They can't help. So again, uh, I think, okay, the disciples are saying, okay, Lord, what's the deal? We have a situation here. We're supposed to be able to deal with this demon. It's not happening. Okay, Lord, what is the scoop? Um, and Jesus says um, to the man, uh, verse 16, the man speaking, I brought him to your disciples. They could not cure him. And here's, here's what Jesus begins to address. Here's the problem. Jesus answered said, oh, I'm believing a perverted generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Here it is. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, why could we not cast it out? So again, problem, no answer. Lord, what's the scoop? What, what went wrong? We should have the ability to do this. It's not happening. What is the issue? And Jesus said to the disciples, because of the littleness of your faith, that's why, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So again, the same principle, hard time. Jesus we should be able to cast the demon out. What's the tissue? Come on, Lord, what is it? And the Lord answers, hey, 
The problem was your faith wasn't strong enough. You you had not plugged into my presence strong enough. Therefore, the boy could not be healed. So it's interesting. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Seven, he's, he says this, excuse me, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everybody who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And I think there is a progression in prayer there. Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given. So, okay, Lord, I ask. You said, Lord, I asked, okay, I got a situation, a problem, hard time, whatever, Lord, I'm asking, and it shall be given. But if it's not given, then I think we move to the next part of prayer. Ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Okay, Lord, I'm asking, I'm not receiving. Lord, I seek you. Lord, what's the deal? Why are you not answering my prayer? Again, seeking, understanding, and wisdom. And God could very well say at that point, uh, when we're praying and not getting answers, he could say, well, you know, you're not getting an answer, number one, because you're not praying in my will. This is not my will. God could be saying, um, I can't answer this prayer because there's sin in your life. You got to deal with that sin. And unless you do, I'm not going to answer your prayer. God could say, I'm not answering your prayer because you don't have enough faith or you're not willing to be patient. So, again, it's the idea of seeking God. God, what are you saying to me in this given situation? So, we see uh, hard times come many times because of sin. We saw that in the, in the life of Israel. There was a famine. It was sin. It was dealt with. Famine goes away. In Achan, we see, again, hard time. Why? Achan sins. They deal with it. It goes away. We see here, a boy wasn't healed by the disciples. Why? The issue was lack of faith. So the, the sin can really mess things up. But, and I think it's really, really important. Let me make this clear. Every time we experience a hard time, it's not always because we have done a specific sin. Let me say it again. All hardship and pain it's not because I have sinned. And I know some people, they go through hard times and they're going through something, let's say in their 50s, and they say, oh, uh, you know, I must have sinned somewhere in my childhood or, or my young adulthood, and now I'm getting it paid back now. Assuming that any hard time must have sin as an origin. And basically, if you read the book of Job, you'll see that's where Job's friends were saying that they always said, Trouble always is because there's sin. And they kept saying, Job, you must have sinned really, really, really big because you're going through so much pain and suffering. Therefore, there must be a lot of hidden sin in your life. And if you look at the book of Job, that is not clear. That's not the case. There were not specific sins all over Job that caused him that. God was doing some kind of a deeper work. So I think we need to realize Sometimes God allows hard times, and the hard time you may be experiencing right now, the hard time may be because God's trying to just mature you in your journey with him. Sometimes we need hard times 
to develop Christ-like character. That doesn't happen in the summer when we're sitting in a swimming pool, drinking our iced tea, relaxing. We grow most in the struggles and the trials and the temptations of life. That's what brings out the character in us. Let me just give you one other scripture here. Uh, it's one of my favorites in the book of Hebrews. And that's where we get discipline. Not discipline necessarily uh, for sin per se. Discipline can be also be like making a disciple, making a mature believer. So Hebrews chapter 12, 7, it says this. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In other words, <clears throat> a father not only disciplines for sin, but a father tries to develop certain characteristics and attitudes and motivations in their child. <clears throat> not necessarily because they're sinning, but just because they need to develop in character. And he goes on, verse uh, 8 of chapter 12 in Hebrews. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to father or spirits and live? Here about human parents here. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for what? Our good that we may share his holiness. That's the end game. What's holiness look like? It means that when people see us, they see Jesus in us. And there's blocks in each of us. I gave an illustration the other day in a Bible study that if God did a spiritual MRI of us and put it on the screen, I think he could point out different areas, not maybe even since, just areas that need adjustment and growth and tweaking. Uh, and Hard times have a way of revealing those areas in us that need to be mature. Again, it goes here in Hebrews 10. For they, earthly parents, discipline us for a short time as seemed the best to them. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, the Lord wants to mature us, and he may allow hard times to develop areas in our life. In other words, he, he wants us to learn, let's say, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, love your enemies. That's part of maturing, okay? Jesus demonstrated that perfectly in the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think God if he's going to perfect us, has to allow enemies in our life somewhere in the journey. People that are against us, people that are wanting to hurt us, and he's allowing that in our life to teach us, okay, can you forgive them? And he's going to teach us, no, we can't do it in our own power. And then he's going to teach us, Lord, you've got to give me the ability to, give, to forgive. Lord, you've got to give me uh, the ability to love them unconditionally. I think many times the trials of life, maybe not our specific sins, is to teach us we're weak, that we cannot live the Christian life in our own sweat and effort and strain. I think trials and tribulations can be there allowed also not only to show us we're weak, but to show us that Jesus 
can be strong in our weakness. Paul said that in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't learn that just coasting through life. You learn that through the trials and the heartache and the, and the pain of life. God may allow <clears throat> hard times in our life to fine-tune our obedience, to just show us you know, where we are on the obedience scale. Have I really obeyed the Lord, or do I delay in my obedience? The Lord may allow hard times in our life to build our patience. Okay? I think many times God may allow hard times in our life to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our trust. God may allow hard times to teach us to embrace even our trials and tribulations. So if you want to really become mature in the Lord, then try this one. And this one, man, I've been around for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time. And, and this verse is still being worked into my life. This is James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, how are you doing with that? Have we learned that lesson yet? And that might be one of the reasons God allows hard times. He's trying to teach us to trust him, even in the pain and the suffering, that there's something positive he's trying to work here. So listen to what he says here. First, uh, James 1, 2. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the Lord is actually trying to teach us, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It didn't say, in everything give thanks for what's happening, but it's give thanks for what God can do, what God can do in the trial. So we know this, God is sovereign. There's no accident in his kingdom. If he allows a hard time in your life or my life, and you might be there right now, if God allows a hard time, there is a good purpose behind that hard time. And I think like David, the best thing we can do in that hard time, okay, Lord, I'm going through this ringer financially, a relationship issue. Uh, a health issue. Lord, what what is it? Are you What are you trying to say to me? We need to say that. Ask him. And many times, uh, the Lord will give you an answer on that. Uh, you know, it said, consider it all joy, but get this. First, I mean, now uh, James 1, we read 2 to 4, but listen to, to verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom when you're going through the trial, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. So we're to ask for wisdom. Lord, what is the scoop? Is there an adjustment I need to make in my life in the hard time? Sometimes God would give a clear answer. And as he does, we make the adjustment and we grow. Sometimes you can honestly say, Lord, give me wisdom. What's, what's the deal? What are you trying to teach me? You may not get a clear answer. And, and that happens. Sometimes we just don't get a clear answer why I'm going through what I'm going through now. At that point, I think the Lord says, okay, trust me. Even if you don't understand what's going on now, right now, it doesn't make sense. You've asked for wisdom. I've not chosen to give it to you. 
Trust me now, because somewhere down the road, you're going to understand why. And even if you don't get it somewhere down the road, when you get to heaven someday, it's going to make sense in your life. So that's that's what I get out of 2 Samuel 21. Hard times are going to happen. Go to God, say, Lord, what are you trying to say to me in the hard time? And again, that may not mean immediately that God downloads, boom, it may, it may, he may speak to you a week or two later, a month later, whatever. And he may give you a clear word. When he gives you a clear word, make the adjustment. And then God will, in a sense, say, okay, I can now remove the issue because you've heard what I'm trying to get at. And if he doesn't give you any specifics, just continue to trust him. Continue to trust that he's sovereign, that he's good, that he's loving, that he's all wise. And then in the end, it's going to make sense. So let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we look at the story. on the screen something to a level is troubling us and lord uh, i believe you try to get our attention through the hard times so lord i just pray give us a, a heart that's willing not only to ask but as you said to ask but then to seek you and say lord what are you trying to do here what's the reason what's the purpose for this trial and i pray lord you give us ears to hear what you would try to say back to us if we have to make a correction in our life, if we need to repent of some kind of a sin with you or other people, uh, if we need to have a greater faith or more patience, uh, Lord, just give us your grace to respond in a positive way to your direction. So, Father, we thank you, and I just trust you, Lord, to help each one here as we journey in a world that's not easy. And we pray at Jesus in your holy name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you, folks. Have a great day. Go forward and trust the good Lord. Amen.